What's going on, y'all? Welcome back to the Cold Seat Podcast, where the seats are cold, but the takes are hot. This week, we're going to start our revised two twice-a-week content schedule. Um, really looking forward to it. That We're going to have our, our Friday episode will be all football, and our Tuesday episodes will be all um, other sports. Plus, there's a net preview, but since we don't have NFL yet, it'll just be um, you know golf, baseball, basketball for right now. Um, any other major news that happens, we'll, we'll cover as well, but um, mostly going to be uh, – just going to be non-football in these days. And then we'll also have like some, in, any injury news that happens, um, we'll throw in there as well. Uh, if there's any college games that happen on like a Thursday, we'll go ahead and cover those on a Tuesday as well. I think like the opening week, uh, there's a bunch of games on September 1st um, that we'll kind of cover on the Tuesday episode that would have this little um, kind of little preparation for that. And then we'll kind of talk, maybe talk about those games. If there's any big ones, uh, I, think, I think Michigan state's playing on a Thursday to open the season. So we'll cover them a uh, big power five school. Um, we'll cover their Thursday game on, on the Friday episode, kind of recap it. But uh, we'll kind of get us kicked off this week with some golf, as we usually do, and I'll let Brett take over from here. Yeah, we're excited to get this new schedule going for y'all. I know it's going to be two twice a week now that we're going to be recording and also going to be shorter episodes, closer to 40, 45 minutes. So be easier to listen for y'all if you listen on your way to work or whatever. Uh, but start off with some non-event-based news. The FedEx Cup number three, Wills Out Taurus, has withdrawn from the Tour Championship with two herniated discs. And in addition, he will miss next month's President's Cup at Quail Hollow. So definitely a big blow to the PGA Tour field uh, as one of its top golfers goes down for the rest of the season. Don't know how long this will sideline him. And I think that, in, you know, Golf is a thing where if you just have somewhat of a swing, you know, you see it with Tiger nowadays after his all his surgeries and accident that you don't have to be in your full form to be able to play. And obviously, Will's a young guy and he has a lot of really good years left in him, but you want to see him reach his potential. And he's just getting hot now, just got his first PGA Tour win. So I think, you know, if he comes back next season strong, it'll be really good for the game. And then last week, we had the BMW Championship and the defending champion, Patrick Cantlay, he actually won it again. He won by one stroke at 14 under and earned himself 2.7 mil, uh, one of the biggest events on tour as we close out the tour season. And the second leg of the kind of FedEx championship is the tour championship, which is played at East Lake Golf Club in Atlanta, Georgia. Really nice course, and I'm sure these guys are excited to kind of wrap up the season and a reduced field here as the guys that are still contending are the only ones still playing, but should be fun to watch and follow along. Yeah, for sure. Uh, kind of sucks to say about Will. A uh, guy was playing really good golf. He kind of been able to close out a couple of tournaments as of late. Um, so tough to see him have to withdraw, but hopefully he gets uh, he gets healthy soon. And definitely not a uh, you know not a a minor injury by any means with two herniated discs. But I'm um, definitely going to watch uh, this weekend. Going to be interesting to see for sure, but we'll kind of get into the baseball here. Um, we'll get into our, sta- our stats updates. We had a standings update last week. Um, kick it off with batting average here. Um, going to be some similar names in this list, but a little bit of change at the top. Starting at number five, we got Jose Abreu from the Chicago White Sox at 313. I believe he won an MVP in 2020 in that shortened season. Um, guy is always kind of been hitting for average, hits for some decent power as well. Um, definitely been his. his I guess rise in his plan has been the past month or so has definitely been a major key for that White Sox team kind of getting back into the postseason hunt. And number four is Jeff McNeil from the from the New York Mets, uh, three nineteen. Um, kind of a surprise, uh, you know, guy for them this year. Not expected to do this, but it's definitely been a big part of them 
you know, their continued success throughout the year. Um, you know, they're the second best record in baseball right now. So uh, a guy like Jeff McDeal has certainly been a part of it, batting 319 at the top of that order. Uh, in third place, we got Freddie Freeman of the Dodgers at 321. A guy really turned it on kind of the, the middle third of the season and hasn't really turned it off in the second or the last third of the season here. Um, guys always had for hit for a really good average, but hitting for uh, kind of an exceptionally good average this year. Um, the power kind of came along late, but nonetheless, still getting still getting done at the plate uh, for Freddie. Number two, the guy who's been in the league most been in the lead most of the year, Luis Arias from the Minnesota Twins at 327. Um, cooled off a hair, but still. Uh, swinging a really good bat at 327. It's a great average. His on-base percentage, I think, still leads baseball. So um, the guy's been, you know, consistent all year. And the guy number one who jumped in was also been consistent all year is Paul Goldschmidt of the St. Louis Cardinals. I think he's the runaway NL MVP winner right now, uh, batting 337, 10 points higher than the second-place guy. Um, yeah, it's pretty impressive what he's been able to do this year. I think I've said it a bunch, but kind of a revitalization year. It hasn't really been this kind of a hitter since uh, his Arizona days, and uh, he's certainly going to be – uh, the MVP winner, unless he kind of has this monumental tumble the last month or so of the year, but uh, incredible seasons from Paul Goldschmidt. He continues to swing a really good bat. Um, three thirty-seven is an incredible average, and if a guy finishes over three thirty, it'd be insane. So um, definitely, definitely really good to see from Paul. Yeah, I know. As we get towards the end of the season here, guys' averages go down a little. I mean, you even look back to our last stats update; we had a few guys over three thirty. So I definitely think, you know, it's tough to sustain uh the success especially at the plate and these guys are doing a great job of it five guys that have been up there most of the season if not at the top and like you said about goldie i think he's definitely the front runner uh just had all these guys have had really well-rounded seasons and offensively have had big impacts on their team yeah we'll kind of move into the power category um where at third and i guess there's there's three guys tied for third so the top five is going to be just kind of one through three but Considering that there's three guys tied at five, we get the top five or three. We get five guys in the top five. Uh, Paul Goldschmidt, Austin Riley, and Jordan Alvarez. Uh, obviously, Goldschmidt plays for the Cardinals. Riley for the Braves, and Jordan Alvarez for the Houston Astros. All tied at 31 home runs. Um, all really, really good power hitters. Again, Paul Goldschmidt, guy who's going to be on all three of these leaderboards we're going to talk about for batting stats today. Um, had an incredible year. Austin Riley. Kind of came onto the scene last year and broke out in a big way. Got his money this year. Um, has not disappointed at all this season. Uh, really good glove at third base too. So um, definitely a core piece for that Atlanta Braves team for the next. You know, looks like twelve years he's going to be there. Like eleven or twelve years that contract. And Jordan Alvarez, another young superstar um, for the Houston Astros, the guy who's in maybe one of the best pure power hitters in baseball. Um, the guy can. And they get the, the distance this guy gets and the exit velos he has on his on his on his homers and on his doubles and even line drive outs are, are pretty crazy. Um and number two, kind of an older guy here, a vet, Kyle Schwarber, the Philadelphia Phillies at 34. Guy who against always been a really big power hitter, not a huge batting average guy. Um, but again, hit for a lot of power, some swing and miss, but um certainly having a really good year for the Phillies, kind of adding on to what he did at the end of the last year with the Nationals. Um, and Aaron Judge of the New York Yankees at 47 homers. Uh, I mean, this guy's been the best hitter in baseball this year. I don't think there's any way around it. Um, just in, in terms of power, he's he's no one's going to catch him. I don't know if anyone's even going to get to 47 home runs at, to the end of the year. Um, as good as a season as Goldie and Schwarber and those other guys are having, I don't think they're getting to 47 homers right now. So Aaron Judge could probably not hit another homer this year and still have the have the crown. Um, it's pretty amazing what he's been able to do with the plate this year. Uh, just from a power standpoint, uh, he had a really good batting average. I think he's still over 300 or just a just a, a hair under it. Um, 
you know, leading the league in RBIs as well, which we'll get to in a second. But just a guy who's been, um, I mean, really, he's been the driving force behind the Yankees' success this year. And um, as he goes, that team is gone. He's been a little bit of a slump. Obviously, that team has been in a slump since the All-Star break. So um, definitely a guy that they should look to retain. But uh, be an interesting storyline to follow this offseason with Judge. Yeah, all five of these guys have had really successful power seasons, obviously. And I think that, you know, as the season progresses, we've seen the numbers kind of slow down as we normally do. Uh, it's really tough to sustain. Like I said, same thing with the average. And I know especially, I mean, Jordan Alvarez, Austin Riley, Paul Goldschmidt, those are three guys that kind of do everything, a little bit of everything, have pretty high averages as well. Maybe not quite as much Alvarez, but I know – a lot of guys, when you hit for power, a lot of the times your average falls off a good bit. And what's really impressive is these guys also have good averages. And for most of the time, guys that are power hitters, it's tough to sustain the average. I think Aaron Judge, you know, like you said, he's kind of hit a slump with the team recently. I think he gets 60 still. I think it's doable. Uh, what is that, 13 home runs in 50 or so games, 45 games. So I think – it can be done, and I don't know if it will be, but nonetheless, it's really impressive. And then Schwarber's really flown under the radar in terms of power just because of all the other guys. You know, you had Judge, you had Alonzo for a big part of the season as he's fallen off recently, and then Goldschmidt just playing all around really well. Um, so Schwarber's gone a little bit unnoticed. Obviously, he got the uh, home run derby nod, but nonetheless, really impressive stuff from him as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, not a, not a huge RBI guy. I think most of his most of his RBIs are coming straight from homers. Um, I think it's also part of where he bats in the lineup. But but again, just no one of those traditional straight up power hitters that's either going to go go yard or deep fly out or strike out. Um, you know, so nonetheless, um, you know, a lot of these RBI leaders are going to be you're going to see some similar names to the home run leaderboard as well as guys that we've seen on the home run leaderboard this year. Um, we'll start off at number five with Francisco Lindor, the New York Mets, at 84 RBIs. Um, finally got it going. He'd had, a, you know, a down season and a half since since all that kind of news swirled about him getting traded in the extension. So um, he's finally kind of coming around and really good to see. I mean, I think baseball's better when he's better. Um, you know, the guy's a great personality, really good guy. So uh, good to see him playing well for the Mets. Again, big part of their success this year has been his kind of resurgence. And back in, I guess, return to form uh, at number four is Jose Ramirez of the Cleveland Guardians at 99. Uh, big jump from fifth to fourth here. Uh, you know, the top the top four guys are within four RBIs of each other. Um, and then it's a 15 RBI difference between four and five. So kind of a kind of a clear uh, break in the pack here. Uh, but Jose Ramirez at 99, another guy who just is a classic. He is OK with hitting singles and doubles. The guy doesn't need to hit homers all the time. He's just he's a great hitter, one of the best pure hitters in baseball, I think. Um, I don't think I don't think he gets appreciated enough what he can do at the plate. Like I said, he's not he's not cranking out balls that are hitting exit velas of 112 miles an hour, but he's he's putting balls in plays going opposite field to the gap. He's putting balls to the infield. He's just a really good hitter. And there's uh, I think he needs to be a little more appreciated for what he does at the plate, just getting base hits and driving in runs. Um, number three. Paul Goldschmidt, um, resident on all three of these lists at 100 RBIs. Um, I don't know how much more we can say about the guy. I mean, he's he's the man. He's been the reason the Cardinals are, are in first place in that division. I know no Arenado's had a great year, but, um, you know, that was expected. No one expected the Paul Goldschmidt to have a, an MVP year like this. So uh, big props to him, and hopefully he can stay healthy uh, for a postseason run for the Cardinals. Uh, number two, 
Pete Alonso, the New York Mets, strongest guy in baseball, 102 RBIs. Um, you know, his, his home run numbers have kind of fallen off in the past month or so, but the RBI numbers are still there. He's in a lot of doubles, a lot of sack flies, um, a couple more singles, and then he's kind of just becoming a more well-rounded hitter as the season's gone on, uh, which is what you need to see from guys who hit for pure power to start the year. Um, you know, in order to, to sustain that success at the plate in terms of RBI numbers, you're going to have to be be able to be a well-rounded hitter um, and hit singles, hit doubles, uh, just take what the pitchers give you, and he's been doing that as of late. So good to see him still on this list as the strongest guy in the league. And number one, Aaron Judge of the New York Yankees at 103 RBIs, just one ahead of Pete Alonso. Maybe if Aaron Judge played in a non-Little League baseball park like Pete Alonso did, he probably wouldn't be at 103, Pete Alonso being the lead. But nonetheless, he's in the lead at 103. Um, but, no, I mean, the guy's been a really good hitter all year. Um, when he's not hitting homers, he's getting a couple of base hit singles. He's getting a couple of base hit doubles. Um you know, another guy who's just a really, 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 really well-rounded hitter. Um, really good approach at the plate. He doesn't really swing and miss it a lot. He he recognizes the pitchers really well. So just a just really good hitter on Aaron Judge at 103 homers. So or 103 homers, 100 RBIs. My bad. Um, but yeah, I mean this list, no, no shock there. I think with the top four, um, as the season's gone on, and number five, I think when you go from like five to like 14, there's like five difference difference of five RBIs from all those guys. So um, a lot of guys tied at like 83 and 82 and 81. So um, definitely going to be a race for that five spot in RBIs this year for sure. It should be interesting to see as we get on the stretch. Yeah, RBIs is a thing that basically the top five guys here are really good situational and clutch hitters. You know, when – I mean, Lindor, like you said, he's really bounced back this year. I think 84 has been a good number and he'll get to 100 um, before the season closes unless something happens. But it's really impressive to see what Buck Showalter's done with that lineup and with that whole organization and the culture as a whole. Uh, you see two guys on here, obviously, two really good players and not necessarily the manager. Um, they got them there, but all around, he's really impacted that roster in a positive way. They made good moves this offseason, and they're right in the hunt in the NL right now. Um, but also Jose Ramirez and Paul Goldschmidt, two of my favorite guys. And both are just classic hitters. Uh, Goldie hits for power a little bit more. Uh, but Ramirez, I mean, is just your classic on-base hitter. And I really appreciate the way he plays the game. And he's never been too big on the power. Um, but just always extra base hits, singles, whatever you need. Um, he'll always come through. And then also, he, uh, I mean, Goldschmidt, like I said, him and Arenado have turned it on the second half of the year. Goldie, really, the whole year. But it's been impressive to see what they've done um, as a lineup as well. Uh, falling off a little bit recently, but going to get back in a groove. Alonzo and Judge, two very similar guys, um, just pretty much power guys, not a whole lot to them. Um, big dudes. I don't know if Judge wants to meet Alonzo in the weight room or something to see who really is the strongest guy. I think Alonzo might um, go into med his meditation phase if – he were to go into a powerlifting match with Judge. But nonetheless, it'd be something fun to see. And also, it'll be fun to see who comes out on top in RBIs this season. As like you said, the top four guys are within four RBIs of each other. Pretty much a four-man race to this point. And I don't see anyone else jumping up into that four, the top four, uh, making up 15 RBIs on these top guys. That's pretty much it for the hitting stats. We are going to jump into pitching where we're going to talk about ERA, strikeouts, and whip. Start out with ERA. We got five guys on this list, all with different ERAs. 
five really solid pitchers for the entire season. Number five, start out with the Tampa Bay Rays, Shane McClanahan, really been strong all season long, 229 ERA. A couple not so hot starts uh, in the past month or so, but nonetheless still sitting at a really good ERA at sub 2.5. Number four, Sandy Alcantara from the Marlins, really, really strong past few starts. Um, hasn't given up more than a few earned runs in a dozen straight or something. Crazy stuff from him. 219 is really impressive from a guy as young as him. Tony Gonsolin from the Dodgers at a 212. Gone a little bit down recently, uh, but still strong. Uh, strong staff there in LA. And I expect him to be in the top three when the season closes. Dylan Cease from the White Sox, a guy that I don't think many people predicted to be here when the season started. Uh, but a 209, almost sub two, is really, really good. Now, granted, they're not in a great division, but it's, it's still impressive to see. You know, obviously, you still have the interleague games and the games outside of your division. So it is impressive. And Justin Verlander from the Astros, uh, just insane what he's been able to do this late in his career with a 195 leading the major leagues. Uh, I don't know if anyone, everyone knew he still had the capability, but I don't think anyone thought he would kind of get back to this point in his career. Um, I mean, you can mistake this year for one of his prime years with a sub two ERA. It's really been impressive to see what he's been able to do throughout the course of the whole season. Yeah, for sure. I think he's like, you, like you said, um, <laughs> I mean, think he's having maybe his best statistical year, uh, maybe not strikeout wise, but uh, from an ERA standpoint and a whip standpoint, I think he's having one of his best years ever, um, which is pretty crazy coming off the major injury that he had coming off of just, I mean, a whole year off baseball um, and not pitching. So it, pretty impressive to see. Uh, like you said, most of these guys in this list, McClanahan, Alcantara, Gonsolin have all had some some starts since the All-Star break that haven't been great. I think Alcantara is the most recent. I think his, I think what, a day ago or two days ago, his start against the Dodgers, he gave up six. Um, Gonsolin had a start, we gave up, I think, five uh, a couple weeks ago. McClanahan had a couple of not too great starts uh, within the last few weeks. Um so all these guys, I mean, it's 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 usual to see with pitchers uh, after the All Star break. I mean, with everybody, um, the more tape you get on guys, the more you know things you can watch their swing path and find holes in their swing, or you know pick up on a certain pitch out of their hand. Um, guys give up a few more homers, uh, a few more base hits, a few more extra base hits. Um, always leads to more runs. So everyone's gonna have an outing or two where it's just not great. Um, but nonetheless, most all these guys have been consistent and they've all stepped up after their bad outing. Uh, be interesting to see how Contour responds this week with it. I'm sure he'll have a great outing this week off of the bad outing in LA. Um, also, just a place he doesn't pitch well. Like statistically, I think he, his career is like 169.25 ERA in Dodger Stadium. So that's the thing. I you know, there's there's pitchers who just don't pitch well in certain places. Like I know Clayton Kershaw pitches terribly at Wrigley Field. It's just a statistic or like course field. If you take out his course field starts in his entire career, he has like a you know, almost a half run lower ERA career. Um, it's pretty crazy. So they're just guys that don't pitch well in certain ballparks, and that's just one of them for Alcantara. Uh, I would expect them to have another great outing uh, this week, and then again against the Dodgers when they see him next week. So um, nonetheless, there and then like you said, Dylan C. It's not a great division. Uh, not not saying a lot of great competition hitting wise, but nonetheless, young guy um, at a at a two hundred nine ERA is pretty crazy. So um, really a mix of young and old here in this list, which is pretty cool to see. Yeah, it is fun to see, and it'll be fun to see who else finishes up there if we do see any change in the standings there for ERA. But we're going to go to strikeouts now. A few different guys, a few same. Um, going to be fun to see kind of how this shakes out as well as 
We'll have a few guys hit the 200 strikeout mark. Maybe even 220, we don't know. Um, still too early to tell, but we're going to kick it off here at number five with Aaron Nola from the Phillies at 174. Always a strikeout guy. Um, normally has a low ERA, but still really impressive. And I think that he will come on strong and finish out the season well. He's always finished strong, and I think that, you know, a guy like him, as the Phillies are playing really well right now, I think he's kind of leading that charge, and he's one of the guys that you want leading in the clubhouse. I think he's a really good guy for a team. The number number four, Dylan Cease from the White Sox just mentioned him. He is at a 209 ERA and 178 strikeouts, second or fourth on the list, only one behind the third place. And all around great year. Won't talk much on him. Just mentioned him. Uh, but yeah, 178 is really impressive. And like I said earlier, a guy that not not many people expected to be on here this year. Number three, Carlos Rodon, a guy that had a super strong year last year from the Giants at 179. ERA is not bad, but he still has strikeouts up there um, and really impressive. You know, Giants have taken a step back this year, and I think he's been pretty consistent for him most of the season. Number two, Corbin Burns from the Milwaukee Brewers. A little bit of a cold start to the year, uh, reigning NL Cy Young winner with 187, just two behind the lead. And I think that he will, you know, it's tough to see a team with not a whole lot of playoff experience um, as they're kind of battling right now in that division. But I think he's a guy that will play better than most expect when it comes down to crunch time. I don't know if maybe he will, he's not as consistent as other guys, but when he's on, he's as good as any is what I'm trying to say. Um, but yeah, I mean, I like, I really like watching him, um, like the Brewers somewhat, but he's been really fun to watch and he's really their one of their only good pitchers left with them, uh, trading hater to the Padres. Number one, we have Garrett Cole. Garrett won't walk past the Audi sign Cole. Uh, Yankees, 189. We'll get to that in a second. Um, 189, only two up on Corbin Burns, a guy that's always been known for strikeouts, really strong pitcher uh, his whole career. And I think he has a few blow-up starts every now and then where he allows, you know, five run runs, three innings, whatever. Uh but similar to Burns, when he's on, he's as good as any, and he's been on more times than not this year. Strikeouts has always been his thing, really. Normally, you see, you see, you know, Scherzer up here too, but just hadn't stayed healthy. Degrom as well, same deal. Uh, but the won't walk past the Audi sign thing. Uh, so the Blue Jays were playing the Yankees a few days ago, I believe it was at Yankee Stadium. Alec Manoa was pitching, and he hit Aaron Judge in the bat, like kind of in the tricep. Uh, Aaron Judge is a righty, so it was in the left tricep. And Judge was kind of upset, kind of walking a few steps towards the mound before kind of going down the first baseline. And then Cole came out of the dugout for some reason, and he was all pissed. I don't know why, you know, it was Cole that just ran out or whatever. Um, but then in the post-game press conference, Manoa said, you know, when talking about Cole and hitting Judge and stuff like that, he was basically saying, well, maybe, you know, he won't, he won't walk past the Audi sign. So I don't know why he's all talking stuff like that. Um, but funny stuff to see. It was kind of funny to see on Twitter. Um, as that's a good AL East rivalry, always, you know, whoever's playing in the AL East, it's normally – you're normally due for a few flare-ups and stuff like that if, you know, batters hit or whatever. 
you know, definitely kind of a heated division. Um, I think if you look overall, both baseball, more of the one of the more heated divisions of the AL East, just from between, you know, team to team with all five. Um, definitely a weird situation. I think even Alec Manoa, like, told uh, Judge, he was like, I, mean, I wasn't trying to hit you. Like, I just even said in the postgame, he's been struggling with a sinker. He threw the pitch um, and, you know, couldn't get it to locate. And he, and he it's not like he drilled him either. I think he he hit him, but it wasn't like it was going to cause him any any harm. Um and I mean, he told Judge almost immediately. He's like, "Hey, man, like, I'm trying to hit you. Like, my bad." Um, but at the same time, uh, you know, you hit a guy. There's gonna be some reaction. But and Garrett Cole, kind of a fake tough guy. He's always been that way. Um, it's like your guy got hit, but it wasn't intentional. And then as soon as the pitcher makes it known it's not intentional, and you're still gonna chirp at the guy, but knock what? Not walk past like what ten steps out of the dugout. Kind of soft. Um, I think right. Alec Manoa hit it. Hit the nail on the head. Like. Maybe you want to do something, walk past the Audi sign next time. Like, you know what I mean? So I just think it's kind of interesting the way that these pitchers kind of approach each other. I mean, also, I think the other thing to note is like, if you saw the video, because there's a whole video of the broadcast where he hits him and then kind of judge takes a couple steps and uh, he kind of going on the baseline, but he's walking towards Manoa and Manoa's like, hey, man, like, didn't mean to hit you. No harm intended. Like, Alec Manoa's a big dude. He's like 6'6, like 280. He's almost as big as Aaron Judge, which is. Not a good move for a Garrett Cole, who I'm not saying he's like a small dude, but he's not 6'6", 280. Like Alec Manoa might run his run his stuff in a fight. So I don't know. I just thought it was kind of weird, like Garrett Cole's whole trying to act tough thing. It's like you're not really doing anything for the team. So I don't know. Kind of lame. Yeah, it was funny to see that. Um, like you said, I don't think Cole's really, really about it. Um I think that it's kind of funny to see him just walk, like be the guy that walks out there when it was really just like Judge and Manoa just talking. Um, we're going to go on over to our last statistical uh, category that we have for y'all, which is whip. And sub one whip is pretty solid. And we have five guys under that on the list. A couple NL, few, a couple AL, and a few guys that we've already talked about today. So I'm going to go through this pretty quick. Julio Urias from the Dodgers, the one that we haven't talked about. Strong season of a .96 whip. Really impressive. Um, one of the younger guys, and he's balled out for most of the season. So exciting to see when the young guys play really well across the league. Number four, Corbin Burns from the Brewers, .93. Really solid in every category. Number three, Verlander from the Astros, .88. Um, balling out this year really has in every category. I mean, ERA, strikeouts, top of the league. Uh, so, I mean, right now he's probably the Cy Young favorite. Number two, Shane McClanahan from the Rays. Uh, really impressive stuff all season long at a .86 tied with Tony Gonsolin from the Dodgers at a .86 as well. And I think these two guys have had really good seasons. I don't think many expected either of them to be at the top of the league in – a couple categories, and like I said, with Urias, um, you know, the guys, you know, they're not Verlanders and the Scherzers of the league are balling out. It's exciting to see uh, kind of a turnover of talent, so to speak, and I think when teams, you know, figure out they have successful guys in the big league, it's really beneficial to their uh, team building process and the organization and how they run things, so it really – has a big impact on how teams kind of gear up for a World Series run. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I think Whip's kind of a – it's a newer statistic that people are looking at. Um, 
like thought about it before, walks, innings, or walks, hits, printings pitched. Um, you know, these guys are doing their job. You see the couple of guys in here that aren't huge strikeout guys, Urias, Verlander, and Gonsolin. None of those guys are getting, you know, not going to crack 200 strikeouts this year, but they do a really good job of keeping runners off base. Um, and then Julio, a guy has really turned it on late in the year. I think he, in June or July, he had a seven-run uh, start against the – against the Cubs in like, you know, the first two innings. Uh, and since then he's, he's really locked it down on the, he's given up more than a couple of runs in, uh, you know, like five or six consecutive starts. So guys really turn it on for them late and has kind of become the ace of the staff um, with Tony Gonsolin as well. But uh, I think Julio is more of a, more of a true ace in terms of um, you know, dominating a game, going deep into games, that kind of thing. But uh, it kind of wraps up baseball for the episode today. We'll kind of move through NBA pretty quickly as there's not a ton of news, um, but it broke last week that Los Angeles Lakers and star four LeBron James, uh, signed a two-year, $97.1 million extension that includes a player option for the 2024-2025 season. Um, basically pushed his player option back a couple of years they had for this offseason. Um, lines him up with Anthony Davis, so they both become free agents at the same time. Kind of just works out for the Lakers that way. Um, they wanted to you know, have have an opportunity to kind of either bring those both those guys back, bring one back, or bring none of them back and kind of do a whole rebuild. So um, definitely a good move there. Uh, expected James to be high, paid really, really highly, so uh, no shock there that he gets uh, big money on the extension. Yeah, it makes sense. I know he wants to play with his son. Um, we'll see if that happens. But I know some Lakers fans may not be too excited about that, uh, but just from a financial and from a really standpoint from everything, it just makes sense for him to remain in L.A. for the Lakers, uh, kind of try to get some young guys around him and turn around what – you know, what could be a really good season this upcoming year for the Lakers. Uh, Donovan Mitchell, though, he – there were some trade rumors around him and they've come back in the last few weeks. The New York Knicks are kind of the front runners for him. I believe that, you know, Mitchell's a guy that really could play anywhere really well. I think he's one of the more underrated guys in the league spending all these years with Gobert. Maybe he didn't garner the attention he deserved, uh, but nonetheless, I think he's a really good player. And if you put him with a good big like Gobert, um, that gives him the best chance to flourish. No doubt. Definitely a big playoff clutch guy. Um, but yeah, definitely going to see him move, I think, before the season starts. Um, but a guy we will not see moved uh, broke, actually, right before we started recording the podcast today. Uh, Kevin Durant will not be moved following a report that he and his agent met with Nets leadership, including head coach Steve Nash. Uh, despite recent interest from the Memphis Grizzlies, who reportedly had five first-round picks to offer up to the, to the uh, Brooklyn Nets. But nonetheless, uh, the team put out a statement today as well, saying that they that they will can move forward with their partnership and that what they have on at the forefront of their minds is bringing a championship to Brooklyn. Uh, so Kevin Durant won't be moved. He'll be staying in Brooklyn for the season. Jerry still out on Kyrie Irving, I think. So, um, But yeah, I think Kevin Durant not getting moved is, is certainly surprising uh, considering how aggressively he wanted to get moved and how much he wanted to be traded. But nonetheless, um, I'm glad he's not going to be moved. I'm glad he's going to stay in Brooklyn. Uh, I'm glad he's not going to be forcing his way out of anywhere. So um, definitely good to see for the Nets, good for Nets fans, and good for basketball if that team can kind of just do what they wanted to do originally and, and get healthy and, and win, it, win it the right way with building, building a couple more pieces onto that team. Um, but we'll see. I mean, the jury's still on Kyrie Irving, so nobody really knows what's going to happen there yet. But um, definitely light at the end of the tunnel for Nets fans, I think. Yeah, I think this is a good move for both parties. And I think Durant is a guy that you want to see. You want to see kind of he take a team rather than he help a team. Um, and I want to see that with him in Brooklyn. I think Brooklyn's a good spot for him, uh, regardless of, you know, what he wants. It's 
I think it'll be an opportunity based off what he like, how he likes to play the game. Um, if he has a star with him, so maybe if he went to the Grizzlies, that'd be crazy. Uh, and then the Grizzlies maybe top two team in the league, top. Three. Um, something to look out for, though. Even though it seems like they have kind of reached a conclusion somewhat. That kind of wraps up the episode today. Uh, be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Cold Seat Podcast. Be sure to follow, subscribe, or whatever it is um, on whatever platform you're listening to us on, whether that be Spotify, Apple Music, or I guess Apple Podcasts or Amazon Podcasts, um, or any of the other ones you're listening on. Be sure to give us a follow, leave us a review, and then check us out on Friday for an episode for college football and NFL preview. We'll do some news. We'll do some preview for the games. Uh, maybe even do a little pre, a little divisional preview. Kind of fit in there since it's a smaller week for the NFL. Um, But definitely tune in on Friday. We'll see you guys then.